welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that helps you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. You've got this. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace a need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. Welcome to episode 92 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. Thank you for joining me. I am a weight loss coach for physicians, and my focus is helping physicians and binge and stress eating without relying on willpower. I know what it's like to spend so much mental energy on trying to figure out how to get in control of our eating. And I found ways of managing it that don't require all that willpower and they don't require all that energy and they're far more sustainable. You can learn about these techniques in this podcast. And if you feel that you need more help, if you're listening to the podcast and it's helping, but you're just not quite applying it enough where you're seeing results in the way you want in your life, or if you kind of have questions, you're not really sure how to apply this, then that is a fantastic opportunity to reach out to get more help with coaching. Coaching is the most efficient way to get a handle on stress or binge eating uh, and figure out solutions that'll work in your life, no matter how busy it is, uh, for life for the long term. Head over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca, click on the work with me tab to learn about different ways that you can work with me. I will be opening doors to my group uh, stress eating program called Stress Eating SOS in the fall again, uh, which I'm really excited about. Uh, It was super fun through the early summer when I was doing it. Uh, I loved getting to know the group of women physicians I had in the program. And I'm opening it up in the fall better than ever. I'm taking it, tweaking it, making it even better. Uh, And so I hope you join me. If you want help, that's a fantastic way to get it. Uh, You can get on the wait list. So you're the first to know when I start releasing more information uh, by heading over to the website. And there's a bar at the top of the website that has the link to get on on the wait list. All right, today we're talking about a really exciting topic, which is mindful eating. I have Dr. Ni Cheng Liang with me. Uh, You may remember her from uh, the episode on using mindfulness to cope with COVID-related stresses. If you haven't checked out that episode, make sure you do. Uh, So she's back to talk about mindful eating. I think mindful eating is such an important topic because it's not something we're ever taught. Uh, In North America, we are taught to eat quickly. We are taught to eat distracted. We are taught to just get through the meal without really noticing it. And when you're trying to lose weight, that uh, creates its own challenges because you're not noticing the food. You're eating faster than how long it takes for your body to give you hunger signals. So using mindful eating tools while you're eating so that you enjoy your food more, which I think is really important because this isn't about, you know, depriving yourself and not having good food. You enjoy the healthy food, you get satisfied by it more, and likely you end up eating less because you notice more about what you're eating. Um, There's lots of resources out there that you can find 
uh, for mindful eating. Uh, Dr. Liang mentions a couple in the um, interview. Uh, but I think she gives some great tips and great places to start. I've been working on these uh, since I interviewed her and trying to apply some of these mindful eatings because like everybody, you know, busy physician lives, it's really easy to just kind of be jamming your food in your mouth in the middle of the day just to get back to work. And so trying to work on slowing it down, enjoying and appreciating the food I'm eating uh, definitely makes it makes me feel more abundant about the food, which I really think is a good place to be when you're working on weight loss. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, welcome to the show, Ni Chang. Thank you so much for joining me again. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, so just for anybody who didn't listen to the other interview when you were on, do you mind introducing yourself a little bit for people? Not at all. I'm Ni Chang Lang. I'm an adult pulmonologist in San Diego, and I'm also a cancer survivor. And as a result of that, I became very passionate about incorporating mindfulness-based meditation and mindfulness-based practices into my own day-to-day optimization of my wellness and also into the lives of my patients and teaching mindfulness to healthcare professionals so that they might better take care of themselves to take better care of their patients and loved ones. Excellent. And so today we're talking about mindful eating uh, specifically. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your background in that? Yes, absolutely. So mindfulness as a reminder, is nothing more than moment-to-moment non-judgmental awareness. And the foundational course in which one learns mindfulness is called mindfulness-based stress reduction. And one of the key exercises of that includes a mindful eating practice. And home practice through that course also includes eating a bite of a meal um, or even an entire meal mindfully. Um, So from that foundation of mindful eating, came a couple of different events that I've been part of. One being sponsored by Olivewood Gardens, which is a nonprofit organization in Southern San Diego that seeks to empower people who are otherwise underserved about nutritional education and empowering them with the knowledge to grow their own food. Uh, and then also I co-hosted a mindful food with my colleague, Dr. Sabrina Falke-Montgrain, who is an expert in culinary medicine and an internal medicine physician. Uh, And that event, we basically took took the participants through the gardens of Olivewood and had them pick their own vegetables and spices, even edible flowers in a mindful way led them through mindfulness exercises to prepare the meal in a mindful way. And then we ate together outside in community. So I've been involved with a couple of different mindful eating events over the last few months. Nice. Those sound really exciting. Okay. So for some people listening, the concept of mindful eating will seem kind of, you know, out there or, you know, there might be people listening that feel like, don't we always do that? (laughs) So can you, let's start with the basics. Can you describe to us how is mindful eating different than just what we would do in a normal North American kind of meal? Absolutely. The normal North American meal might be done 
while doing something else, such as something for entertainment. So one might be watching something on TV while you're eating, or one might be reading or scrolling social media or surfing the internet while eating. Um, and basically kind of trying to multitask while you're eating. But when you do that, that's actually a disservice to your physiology because in order to really pay attention to when you're full, you actually have to concentrate and devote time so that you are giving yourself the full attention of consuming food and beverage and not trying to multitask. So there are nine different types of hunger that we can talk about within mindful eating, but then I'll also provide some tips that you can apply today, right after you listen to this podcast. That's a really great way to be very intentional about slowing down in the way that you're eating. Excellent. And so from an weight perspective, which, um, you know, most people listening to this have some interest in it, the mindful eating becomes a benefit because you may end up eating less because you're more aware of your hunger signals. Like you're saying, you don't eat past them because you're not distracted. And also you might enjoy the eating more because you're actually paying attention to it when you're doing it. Is that correct? Absolutely. So we know that through the literature that mindful eating can help curb cravings. Um, there's also a very intentional portion control that happens when you do mindfully eat. Um, and furthermore, you enjoy food even more if you pay attention while eating. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. Like I was actually talking about this with a coaching client yesterday and that when we struggle with weight and when you're trying to follow a certain like eating plan and be careful around other foods and yet, and then when you have the situations where you end up eating the foods, you should quote unquote, not be eating. We often rush through those foods. So like, you know, you feel that strong craving where you want to eat it so badly, but then when you actually eat it, it's done in a hurried rushed manner because there's that element of feeling like I shouldn't be eating it. Um, and I think kind of, there's a, you know, a bit of a mind process of if you do it quickly, it doesn't count or you won't notice it. But the, the shame of that is, you know, if these are foods that you really love, when you end up, if you are making the choice to eat them and you're doing it in a rushed manner, then you're not enjoying it. Like you're getting the, the calorie impact and, and the impact it might have on your weight, but you're not actually getting the same enjoyment out of the food as if you made the same decision to eat the same food, but chose to actually sit and enjoy it and be mindful while you did it. Absolutely. And if you mindlessly eat or rush through eating, you might actually end up eating more. Yeah. So maybe like, you know, if you want ice cream, I'm saying that because it's so hot out right now. Um, and yeah, you, you eat mindlessly, you, you can easily eat the whole bowl no matter what but if you actually sat and enjoyed it and really appreciated it you may find you're satisfied after a much smaller amount exactly yeah I think that's that's where like I think this is such a good topic to be talking about and I've been thinking about having this topic for quite a while kind of since I started the podcast but um, I think it's so important to learn the skill and we're not taught it anywhere else like there's nowhere in our North American society that we're actually taught this 
No, unfortunately not. And even through medical training, a lot of us are taught to eat when we can, pee when we can, sleep when we can. Um, and oftentimes it's literally shoveling food down our throats so that we can continue to take care of the next patient. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I think we're taught the opposite that you just, your needs don't matter. You know, everybody else's needs come ahead of yours and yours get, you know, done as quickly as they possibly can. Uh, which I know for me, and I've talked about this a lot on a podcast in residency that led to fast food because I had like, I was either exhausted and just wanted to go home and sleep, or I had like a five minute window to run out and grab some food. And, uh, you know, the fast food is what was close to the hospital. And that it started as just a means to an end of, because of time limitations, but then it became a brain issue where my brain was like, that's what we need. We're stressed. <laughs> that fixes it. Um, okay. So let's talk about these nine hungers. Cause I'm interested in that. I can, I could list like, I think four, maybe three hungers. Uh, so I'm interested in the nine. Yeah. So the nine hungers really takes into consideration all of our different senses and also some mental mindsets, uh, surrounding food. So I'll go through them, um, kind of systematically. So the first one out of the nine is eye hunger. When we walk by placards that are advertising specials on like the chalkboards on the sidewalk or in the windows of restaurants or even online, and you start reading what the specials are for the day or you start picturing that food. So that is part of eye hunger. Another eye hunger piece is when you see food that's been arranged in a very artistic manner or in a colorful manner, then that also speaks to our eye hunger. So just looking at food or looking at words that are describing food can increase our enjoyment of food and also start making us feel a little hungry. So like a good example uh, on the more kind of negative side on how this might show up is like TV ads where it's purposely designed food. Uh, what is it? Food stylist designed food that looks mouthwatering. That's meant to engage this aspect. Yes, exactly. The next hunger is touch hunger. So this is more about the tactile sensation of the food, whether it be through picking it up with your hands or the texture of the food in your mouth. So one can really spend a little bit of time here because this is where a lot of the savoring can come about and where the textures can really be appreciated. And oftentimes when we are literally shoveling food in our mouths, we are chewing very little, we are noticing very little of the textures of the food and then we quickly swallow. So I think this is a huge part of when we mindlessly eat food that we really don't give a lot of time to. And then the next hunger is ear hunger. So when you're at a restaurant and the waiter or waitress tells you about the specials, you listen and you might notice that your mouth is salivating. Other forms of ear hunger include 
the sounds when you eat a particular food, such as potato chips or a carrot crunching, even the sensations of the sounds of like the bubbles from a fizzy drink or mm. um, other kind of particulate matter that crunches when you eat it, like nuts, for instance. So that is something that you can also pay attention to when you are eating food. And then the next one is nose hunger. So nose hunger is important in that you're able to smell, but also as you're eating, one relies on nose hunger a lot more than one would actually think to taste our food. And also nose hunger can evoke a lot of memories. Like we have olfactory cells that connect directly to the brain that can evoke a lot of memories from our past. And so nose hunger can be something that also helps someone to savor their food. I so yeah, that one, like, I think most of us could relate to that where, you know, certain food smells uh, make you hungry almost immediately or certain, you know, they, they, like you said, they bring back memories of childhood or other places. Yeah. And then there's mouth hunger. So there's this desire to put that food into our mouths, um, this strong desire to, to taste it, um, to taste the flavors. And sometimes we don't taste our food because we're eating it so fast. Mm -hmm. We don't have enough time for the taste receptors on our tongue to actually work <laughs> and identify whether something is sweet, salty, sour, bitter, etc. And that also, if you take the time to actually taste your food, will definitely increase the enjoyment of food. And you might notice that food becomes even more flavorful because you are taking the time to address mouth hunger. And so mouth hunger is different than touch hunger in that touch hunger is more texture based, whereas mouth hunger is more flavor, like taste based. Okay. Exactly. And then there's stomach hunger. So stomach hunger is probably what we are very much familiar with. It's the grumbling of the stomach. It's the, uh, the sensation of emptiness in our gut that makes us want to search for food. But also there could be some component of, um, of not paying attention to stomach hunger in that people might overeat because they are doing something at the same time and not realizing that they have surpassed their satiety and then they're overfilled. Or if they have a very short amount of time to eat, then they underfill and they don't realize that and then just move on to the next activity or the next obligation that they have to do. Mm -hmm. So really paying attention to stomach hunger will be a good kind of barometer set point for the body in terms of how much food to consume as opposed to being tied down by time or being tied down by another activity that you're doing at the same time, which can distract you from really truly paying attention to stomach hunger and the stretching sensation of the stomach that can happen when you eat. Mm -hmm. I think that's a big one that we're, you know, even we're kind of taught to ignore it really 
in that, um, you know, the, the portions in this overeating culture and the foods that we overeat are all kind of taught to just, you know, feel like move beyond that and kind of deal with the repercussions later, right? Like the overfull and stuff. So I think that's a huge one of practicing building that awareness. And then we have cellular hunger. So cellular hunger was really honed when we were very little, like infants and toddlers. The example that's used in Jan Chosen Bay's book, Mindful Eating, is one where a child has been having fevers for a long time, sweating, and losing a lot of, of um electrolytes and also free water through the sweat but the parents have only been giving the child free water so just plain water to try to hydrate the child if the fever doesn't break the child ends up in the emergency room and they see like a bag of potato chips and they just devour it because their body needs that salt content so it's a it's a kind of primordial cellular level where your entire being at the cellular level needs a certain nutrient. And so naturally you will gravitate towards that. Also similarly with pregnant women and having certain cravings, sometimes that is a really important part of paying attention because that craving may very well be what your body and what the in utero child will need. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, like when you think from a standpoint of epigenetics, where there's so much research about what mom eats in uh, pregnancy, having an influence on the offspring, uh, you know, health conditions and future weight and all that stuff. It, it's interesting thinking of it from that standpoint on, um, you know, if that those kind of requirements are communicated somehow and may also then, I, I just wonder if it would then influence the offspring, the child's needs as they grow up. Yeah. yeah just pondering. <laughs> we can do a podcast episode for each type of hunger, honestly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. A big one is mind hunger. Mm -hmm. So this is where a lot of the self-judgment or the overindulgence can come in because it's the power of our thoughts and our thoughts causing um, feelings and then um, having a lot to do with then what our actions are and then the results. So having these kind of uh, feelings of I deserve that because of X, Y, and Z and so you potentially might overindulge or beating ourselves up because we overindulged after the fact. Which then leads to more overindulgement. Yes, because then you are emotionally feeling bad about that overindulgence and then it becomes a vicious cycle. Yeah, absolutely. That's like all that I do all day long. <laughs> and then there's a judgment about the inherent food that you're about to eat. Like, is chocolate good? Is chocolate bad? Yeah. 
what about caffeine? What about all of the other different types of, of food that we intentionally or unintentionally consume, depending on how mindful we are surrounding that meal? And then lastly is heart hunger. So heart hunger really speaks to foods by either eye hunger or nose hunger or ear hunger relates to something that reminds you of a loved one or a time period in your life that was really comforting for you or tumultuous for you. Heart hunger is also important during celebrations mm -hmm. because there's a lot of joy in celebrations um, and a lot of high sugary refined sugar foods during celebrations um, that heart hunger might speak to. And then this is where that kind of soothing foods or comfort foods really comes in is speaking to the heart hunger. And so the eating, you know, if you've had a stressful day and you come home and you end up eating things you didn't plan, that would be under heart hunger. Yes. So wondering if you're anxious or lonely or sad or if you're actually hungry. Because sometimes if we're anxious or lonely or sad, in the past we've used um, suboptimal food choices as our go-to for potentially temporarily alleviating the anxiety or the less than optimal or less than desired emotion um, versus recognizing whether or not truly on a biological level we actually are hungry. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So how does somebody apply these hungers? Like listening to you, it sounds like, like they can be used in a, in a positive way to experience your food. And they also can influence our eating if we're not aware of them. Like, like the heart hunger, or the nose hunger where you smell something and all of a sudden you want it. Um, how does somebody apply these to their life? Yes. Oftentimes we don't have the luxury of time to go through all nine hungers, but in Dr. Jan Chosen Bay's book, Mindful Eating, the simple question of asking yourself who's hungry in there is a good one because then you will run through quickly those potential nine different hungers. And oftentimes it's very much as adults, a combination of like mind hunger with stomach hunger and then all of the other associated hungers may be secondary, for instance. Um, and so just simply asking oneself that one question. And then there's other different ways to incorporate it. So you can also go through the nine different hungers when you are taking one bite of a meal or one sip of a beverage. That's also a quicker way to do it rather than feeling the time pressure of having to go through the nine different hungers through the entire meal. That would take probably a very long time. <laughs> and then there are easy ways to just incorporate the simple act of slowing down when you're eating, including putting your eating utensils down between bites so that you can really focus on addressing mouth hunger and addressing touch hunger in that moment. Mm -hmm. 
you can also choose to eat with your non-dominant hand as a way to also slow down your eating because we're going to be much more in tune and focused on the coordination of using our non-dominant hand to functionally pick up the food and getting it to our mouth, which we won't be as facile at because it's our non-dominant hand. So there's a literal slowing down of eating because of that perceived handicap. And then one can also choose to chew their food for a longer period of time. So back in the 1980s, there was a uh, movement where people were taught to fletcherize their food. And that was to eat one bite with 30 different chews or 30 chews before swallowing. Um, and perhaps not going to that extent because after a certain amount of chewing, the food then actually tastes quite uh, bland. Uh, but to be intentional about chewing more and chewing slower so that we're not shoveling food down into our throats and into our bellies. And so being very intentional about chewing and taking longer to chew, even just a few bites of a meal, not necessarily the entire meal. Mm -hmm. I think that's really good. And so can you, like, if you find the concept of like holding all nine in your mind a bit overwhelming when you're starting out, can you just, when you're eating a meal, go, okay, I'm going to focus on the smell while I eat or like choose one of them to focus on in a meal? Yeah, absolutely. I think perhaps noticing what hunger we usually resort to and then noticing what hungers we don't usually pay as much attention to and mm -hmm. then being very intentional about meals or snacks and working with that one hunger that we don't usually pay attention to to kind of like develop the skill to notice that type of hunger even more and bring it into our lexicon of of eating, if you will, so that it becomes a habituation of a behavior that you do want to do more of, as opposed to trying to rush through a meal or multitask when we're eating. Mm -hmm. So my other question uh, was, how do you remember to do this, right? Like, so you, you, people listening to this episode, and they'll be like, yeah, this is fantastic. I think this is going to be really good for me. But then it's so easy to actually forget that this is what you're trying to do. How do you have practical tips for people to remind themselves about this? Yeah, I think first and foremost is that you have to make the decision surrounding mealtimes about how you want to feel and how much time you have to devote to mealtime. And it could be as easy as a mindfulness practice surrounding just taking your first cup of coffee or tea in the morning and going through the nine hungers then. Um, or something as easy as turning off screens, including the one on your phone, putting away the computer, or physically moving to a different location than your desk to eat. Mm -hmm. perhaps being intentional about 
changing the surrounding environment or even just the view while you're eating. So I think in terms of making mindful eating more of a habit, one has to decide that they want to do that and really incorporate changing things up in a curious way and not necessarily like, oh, I have to mindfully eat now. Oh, yes. Otherwise, X, Y, and Z, and then being hard on ourselves because we forgot to mindfully eat. But if you incorporate physically different rituals into your day-to-day, you might be more attuned because you are switching it up. So for instance, at work, now because of COVID, we can't really eat with other people in my clinic. So what I do is instead of eating with my computer in front of me, I will turn off all the screens, put my phone away, and then I will choose to eat in the chair that sits across from me usually. So Mm -hmm. rather than sitting in the chair that faces the computers, I'm gonna sit behind the computers and turn the chair so I'm actually looking out the window. So you can make very small changes in the environment in which you're consuming the food to protect time to incorporate aspects of mindful eating. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that you're saying you don't have to, like, it's not that you have to slow down your entire meal, like even just doing what you're able to in the moment. Like if it's just a bite that you're mindful about, it's still better than nothing. Yes, absolutely. Moments of mindfulness are also really important and helpful. And so if somebody works on this, what what could they expect to see or gain? Like we've talked about like more aware of your own hunger and satiety signals, but are there other things that people benefit from eating mindfully about? You can incorporate it if you're trying to lose weight. And so you might notice that uh, that weight loss might be more effective because you're choosing better quality foods, more flavorful foods, more complex foods. And I think ultimately, because mindfulness is so helpful for decreasing our stress levels in general, when we bring mindfulness to eating, you can also become less anxious and less stressed out in general because of the fact that you're incorporating mindfulness into the way that you're consuming food. So I'd say general health has the potential to improve because of decreasing stress um, and also choosing wiser and portion control. And I think that point about decreased stress is a really good one because as physicians, like you've pointed out, most of our meals are, you know, done while you're still working, trying to get, you know, notes done or paperwork off your desk, that sort of stuff, or just jammed in a tiny little window. And so if you could, and then we don't get the breaks during the day, because then as soon as we finish, we just keep going. So if you can create the break while you eat, uh, and then, you know, start your afternoon with your stress level just dialed down slightly, it'll make the rest of your day better for sure. Same thing with dinner, right? Like we come home rushing from work, carrying all the baggage with us from work often, 
and then rush through dinner. And yet, if you could create dinner as itself as a relaxation, I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, you can also apply mindfulness to cooking and being very, very cognizant of the texture of the food that's getting chopped up or that's getting heated um, as the food preparation is happening. So there's a myriad of different ways to incorporate mindfulness into food preparation and food consumption. And even cleaning up after the meal is an opportunity for mindfulness. Excellent. Any other last tips that you would want to share? I think if you're curious about mindful eating, there's really no harm in trying it. So not to set the expectation that you're going to become all of a sudden a mindful eating expert with the nine different hungers that you're going to address every single time you eat or drink something, but really to just bring a curiosity and a compassionate lens to incorporation of mindful eating into your day-to-day, I think that might be the most healthy mindset going into trying mindful eating. And what are some resources? You've mentioned uh, at least one book. What are, if people want to know more, where should they turn? Yeah, so there's actually a whole website about uh, mindful eating that I can email you and you can put in show notes. Uh, So it's through the publisher for the book, but there are actually mindful eating meditations that you can go through of different lengths. And then there are graphics. So there are graphics that look like cartoons that address the nine different hungers. And also on my website at nclangmd.com, there is a mindful eating practice that I've also recorded on there as well. So you don't have to guide yourself through a mindful eating practice, though that's always an option. Um, there's also pre-recorded practices that you can try out. Nice. And where else can people reach you? So besides the website, uh, I'm also founder of the Mindful Healthcare Collective, as well as the Mindful Healing Collective. We are a group of physicians with additional mindfulness, yoga, and meditation and coaching training. We started broadcasting one to three live Zoom sessions a week for healthcare professionals to help reduce the stress caused from the pandemic and also for the general public. So those websites, you can catch some of our prior recordings and other resources on there. Excellent. Well, thanks for taking the time today to chat with me. Thanks so much for having me. All right. So really good stuff from Dr. Liang. And I wanted to just summarize those nine hungers because I know that's a new concept for a lot of you. Um, So number one is the eye hunger. uh, That's enjoying your food by how it looks. Number two is the touch hunger. That's enjoying your food by the texture of it. Number three is the ear hunger. That's enjoying your food by how it sounds. Number four is nose hunger, which is how it smells. Number five is mouth hunger, which is the sensations in the mouth. Number six is stomach hunger, which is the growling and the emptiness that you can feel in your stomach when you're hungry. Number seven is cellular hunger. Uh, So that's the like seeking of food that you need on a cellular level. Uh, Number eight is the mind hunger where you enjoy food for the thought of the food. And number nine is the heart hunger where there's something about the food 
that uh, stimulates your heart in like, you know, memories, nostalgia, uh, that sort of stuff. Uh, So I'd love to hear how you apply these mindful eating tips to your own weight loss. Uh, Send me an email, info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with people that you think might benefit from it. I appreciate every share. And uh, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Have a fantastic week, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye.